Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we talk tabletop role-playing game, tips and tricks you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today, we're going to be talking about thinking tactically about combats, ways that you can help entice a greater depth of action and intrigue into those combats that you have above and beyond what we talked about in the previous Spicing Up Combats episode. Before we get into too many details, let's take a roll call of who we've got here, of course. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show today. With me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM, and Ed. My ribs hurt. So today we are talking tactics and thinking tactically. This actually spun off from our previous episode about spicing up combats. Uh, I should have looked this up ahead of time. I believe it's episode 27. Uh, yeah, it's somewhere in there. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> but we talked we talked a little bit about having monsters behave intelligently, you know, to have those combats be more interesting because things are using their their capabilities that they are fully aware of. And since we've recorded that, we've had some other discussions online on Facebook, on uh, a little bit on Twitter, and as well as having encounters in our own games that we were talking about and games that we've played in where the tactics really weren't used to the best of their abilities, which made the encounter kind of fall flat, or tactics really were used to help things pop and make it much more interesting, much more satisfying for the players and for the DM, and much more interesting game. So with those things going on, we thought we'd revisit the topic of tactics a little bit so that we can talk a little bit more about how you can implement those to make for the more interesting combats and really give credit to these mythical creatures that they have due for being able to, you know, actually act like they know what they're doing. Yeah, I'd say I'd say right off the bat, uh, the first thing I see that I always sort of question is if the monster has intelligence and has a superior advantage, why isn't that advantage being exploited to its fullest extent? Yeah, absolutely instance, should be leveraging. Yeah, for instance, um, in you know, for our fantasy fans out there, Dungeons and Dragons, well, half of that title is dragons. Uh, when you're going to go up and face them, you don't necessarily want to... I, I know as a GM, you don't want to pose a challenge to the players that they can't at least sort of beat. But at the same time, this is a, a flying creature that has a breath weapon. It does not always have to be in combat with them. You know, in in, in open space, it should dominate your players. Um, a lot of times I see, you know, dragons sort of played... Uh, well, kind of like the way they are in video games, you know. You know, a lot of times in video games, they you know, sometimes they'll fly and use their breath weapon. Then other times they'll they'll come down to your level and they start trying to bite at you and claw at you. Uh, but that's your chance, essentially, to kill it. Yeah. You know. So I mean, I guess in that point, you know, it's sort of a fine line. Do you want your players to actually be able to do something? I would say if you're gonna give your players the option to fight a dragon on their level. Maybe give them some sort of magic item that pulls them to the ground or something. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all, 
I mean, especially, you know, when we're talking Dungeons and Dragons, like, you know, it's all about the appropriate challenge rating, you know, like you're not going to, if you don't want to kill them with a dragon, don't send a too powerful a dragon after them. But, you know, if you send a dragon that's around their correct challenge rating in theory, I mean, without getting into the, the flaws of the challenge rating system, um, then they should be able to handle it. If you know, but you also know what your party can and can't handle. You know what resources they have available. If they have no way of flying, if they have no way of stopping or pulling the you know the dragon to the ground, if they have no way of keeping the dragon from just continually fly by and slowly whittling them away, then you know that. So you can either you know provide them with an item or an opportunity or something in their environment that they can use to their advantage to help even the odds, or don't throw that monster at them. <laughs> and. I think you also need to to think about it in terms that we're a little more familiar with. Um, if you look at in the in a modern terminology, you know the the fantasy party fighting a dragon should almost feel like a troop of infantry going up against an air support or an airstrike fighter that can then land and transform into a tank. Yeah. You know, this isn't this isn't something where it's going to be a lot of we're facing this on equal footing. It's going to be a lot of how do we not die from this thing and how do we leverage it so that we can even pretend that this is a fair fight? Yeah, it's especially with dragons, which I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of like dragons being a big, bad, scary thing, which is one of the thing reasons why wrath is the way it is. And I won't even get into it. It's not worth it. But you shouldn't be fighting a dragon. You should be surviving a dragon. In my opinion, like if you kill it in the end, more power to you. But really, you should be surviving the dragon. Like that's your first and foremost. You shouldn't be charging the dragon. You should be, you know, you should be take cover. You know, that should be your first instinct. It's actually an interesting reference because I actually should have keyed in on this right when you said treating dragons like they're in a video game. Um, the Dungeons and Dragons arcade games. Um, Tower of Chaos, the first one, had a fight with a red dragon as an option. And you're you're. When your characters got to that point, they had the option of two paths they could take. The first option was to rest for the night, recharge all their spells, regain all hit points, and go fight the dragon. And then if they beat the dragon, they can go right to the villain's lair. Or they can leave immediately, not get any spells back, not get any hit points, not get any rest, and take the long way around the mountain fighting multiple different monsters and all this to fight the... Uh, the wizard. Now, it seems like kind of an equal balance out, except there's a special achievement for actually beating the dragon, because even getting the full rest and getting everything back, it's still an extremely challenging fight. Right, be. Because you also have cases where the dragon will swoop away, rocks will drop down, he'll strafe with his breath weapon, and if you didn't get behind a rock, you are dead, no matter how much health you had. Right. Or he'll just show up and he'll swipe and he'll do massive amounts of damage. And this is really an achievement to fight it. Or you can go the other way, fight a host of other monsters, including a beholder. And it actually, in comparison to fighting the dragon, feels easy. Yeah, I mean, so really, it just comes to, yeah, play, play the intelligence of the monster. You know, it's really a lot of that. You know, like monsters know what they can and can't do. You know, like a dragon knows it can fly. A dragon, you know, a red dragon knows he can breathe fire. A white dragon knows he has a cold, you know, cold breath weapon. Like they know what they're capable of. They've survived their whole life by being, you know, prey or, you know, or predator or whatever the situation is like knowing whether they need to run from something or if they can just smash something right. like 
all monsters know f- their full and total potential. Which, as GM, it's then your responsibility to do your research, do your homework. So you you may not know that full and total potential, but you should know that okay, if he starts to get hurt, he can cast darkness and fly away. Right. Yeah. Or something along those lines. Yeah. Flying creatures should be flying and taking advantage of that. And flying is something that, especially in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, is much more restricted and it's harder for players and PCs to get the ability to fly because they know it's such a powerful thing. So they, right. they, they pulled the, a lot of those um, different flying abilities away from them and they don't get them until later on in the game. It's not until like mid to late game, you know, mid late game slash late game that players start getting easier access to flying. Like the, the dragon sorcerer actually gets wings and, and other various situations like that. So again, if like if a creature can fly, that's a huge advantage. You know, they, you know, if they're in open terrain, they should be able to just, kind of beat on the party and the party needs to be, you know, figure out a creative way of dealing with that. You know, whether they have a wizard that can, you know, you know and that's where also your you uh, give opportunities to your ranged and spellcasting players. Like, okay, well I can actually shoot them from a distance or I can fireball them from here. You know, again, you know, like we mentioned in the past with spotlighting characters, you know, you give a flying, you know, throw a flying monster out there and now you get to spotlight your, your ranged care um, players as opposed to your melee characters. Yeah, or you could sort of make a, a an adventure about going after the dragon. Okay, well, we know it's, uh, say, a red dragon. So uh, maybe it's... Uh, a, a, are they vulnerable to the cold? So let's just say it's vulnerable to cold, right? So maybe you're trying to find items that'll help you. You know, maybe there's, uh, you know, uh, an ancient sword in some, you know, dwarven ruin that the warrior could have or... You know, uh, you know, someone could have ice arrows crafted or something along those lines. You know, the the wizard is, you know, going and looking up some, you know, cold spells, changing the spells out, you know, training to do that. I mean, you could have a, a sort of mini adventure based on that to prepare to go get this dragon, which, you know, definitely makes sense. That's something you, sh- you should really have them do because your players, if they know they're going to face a dragon, should be as prepared as possible to take this thing on. And that's the that's in part the sometimes the issue. If a dragon is uh, sort of thrown at a party, yeah, like a random encounter, uh, like a random encounter, then and I I almost never use dragons as random encounters. If, if but if they are, the the player is is or the players are almost always caught unawares, and and they're never pre- as prepared as they should be. A properly prepared party should be able to survive an encounter with a dragon, but an unprepared party may not. And, of course, the most dangerous creature in Dungeons & Dragons is the albino red dragon. Indeed. Which I asked about last night. Uh. <laughs> a white dragon falls down between you. And I'm like, now, are you using that as a descriptor, or are you telling me it's a white dragon? It's a white dragon, okay? So it's not an albino red dragon. No, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> for, for anybody that's non-Dungeons & Dragons, the dragons in Dungeons & Dragons are elemental-based. Red dragons are fire ele- and elemental type, almost, and so they are vulnerable to cold. White dragons are ice, and so they are vulnerable to fire. Not so, true anymore. Well, it was for years and years. Yes. Um, and so an albino red dragon would appear to be a white dragon, and so the players would be expected to throw fire at it, which right. a red dragon would then ignore. Which is just a fun way of screwing with your players, you know. Yeah. Um, I think we still have that on the list of tricking your players. Yeah. We might be getting to that in a future episode. Let us know if you'd like to hear that. The, uh, But, so we're, we're focusing on dragons a lot and on monsters. So definitely if you have like an all-powerful sort of thing, 
you know, monster, a big, a big deal. It should know all of its abilities and be able to have access to and use them, but also should be able to use its intelligence to keep its best advantage. You should never have a creature like that really just going down on the player's level and just, you know, fighting them hand to hand or whatever, because your group is going to swarm them and kill them. I think I think, though, the dragon is kind of this. It covers a lot of what we were talking about in the pre-show, because we've got intelligence, you've got flight, you've got often magical advantage or ranged advantage, you've got lairs, you've got it may have followers. These are all things that we were talking about before we started recording that you may want to bring into play that could all come into play with a dragon. Right. Um, which is actually there's a couple there that I mentioned that we haven't touched on yet. Um, lairs and followers. Yeah. Uh, another good example of someone that would have lairs again, like which Jerry also mentioned in, in the pre-show was liches. Um, you know, liches, vampires are, you know, can have layers. you know, lots of things can have layers, but liches atypically are known for having layers, you know, because they have their phylacteries that they have to have hidden in one, you don't want to have them well secured and exact, you know, blah, blah, blah. But vampires yeah so i mean having a layer any creature that has a layer you know they're gonna know their layer like the back of their hand you know they picked the layer or they created the layer um they they're gonna have you know traps and areas that they don't go you know through an entrance that you know the main entrance that maybe they don't necessarily use or have a way around or circumventing maybe there's an on off switch for turning on and off the trap you know things to think about but which we've touched on, you know, that kind of stuff in the, in the past too, when we you know, talked about traps and stuff, but you know, the important thing is that they know the layer, the important, um, you know, that they know how to take advantage of what the layer has to offer, you know, in, in terms of defense or protecting them. And Ed had a good example that he was talking about earlier and in the, in the pre-show recordings about using a villain in his lair to good effect on his players. Yeah. I, I ran a, a game uh, against a, a group and basically there was uh it was a, a psycho killer really i built him as i think a third level barbarian third level rogue and just had him running around with a uh, like a magical scythe that allowed him to do a sneak attack damage or not not scythe sickle just the the handheld one and it, it was in this sort of like abandoned asylum and he had a, a bunch of just you know deranged you know followers who were basically his little army and these were the guys that would follow him But every once in a while, I would have the guy come out of like some secret passage on the hallway and he would get his assassinate on one of the players. Uh, And I wouldn't do it often. You know, it's not like every two, three rounds I would do it. You know, if I if I did want him to come out and engage them a lot, then it would just be sneak attack. But as it would as they would pass through these hallways and sort of like the fighting would die down and they'd go down a couple hallways and then it would start up again. Bam, he gets another assassinate. The idea being that sort of they were out of combat for a little bit, so he just kind of gets his chance to do that, you know. And and the real sort of intricate thing about it that I liked was, or that I put into it was, there was all these passageways. The hallways themselves were where the players were going, but there was these smaller secret passages, and that's what he was doing. He was just coming out of one, he'd go up, gash somebody, and then he'd go through another secret passage. And then by the time they went over to investigate the secret passage he was long gone, you know, on his way down another one, you know, or, or up over another area. And it was really sort of this, sort of this haunting thing. Cause everything that was fighting them were just these crazy, like they were just commoners, you know, but they were all just deranged people who, you know, wanted to, you know, you know, kill the party for this guy, for whatever reason. And, uh, he was, uh, he was just sort of taking advantage of the chaos and the terrain to just keep sneak attacking them and occasionally getting an assassinate. 
And so it's just, you know, and they were like level five characters. So it's just one level six, you know, player character based villain, you know, three barb, three, three rogue, good stats, you know, and a bunch of CR zeros. And it took them to the limit because he knew his lair. He knew his capabilities. He knew what to do. Eventually, they cornered him in a point where he had to fight. You know, okay, okay, so his barb stuff kicked in a little bit more than his rogue stuff at that point. He was still a tough fight, but they were all spent. They had spent all their, you know, uh, um, resources on this guy. They were down hit points. It was, it was getting to be, you know, crazy by the time, you know, they'd finally finished this guy off. They were all hurting. You know, a couple of them had gone down a few times just for the cleric to sort of bring them back up. You know, so it was it was a rough fight, but it was it was an interesting sort of encounter because he was playing to his strengths and until the very last instance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's um, while you were talking about that, I was thinking about different tricks that um, I've used or had ideas for for layers with like liches. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the, th- the things that I like about like have a lich in their lair, not only are they a, typically a very intelligent um, NPC and also a, ca- a spellcaster, right. you know, so they have a lot of, re- um, you know, they're intelligent, cunning, and have a lot of things available to them because they're a caster. So you can have like not only your mundane traps, but your magical traps and a lot of other weird quirky stuff going on is the fact that also a lich is undead, therefore does not need to breathe. Right. So... Um, I've had ideas where, like, you know, uh, not only would a lich typically have, you know, a, a well-protected, fortified, and, and or trapped lair, but they would typically have an escape mechanism or two built into their lair. So I had an idea where, like, one of the, the lair would have, like, this gate that, you know, like an escape hatch, like magical gateway that didn't lead outside. It led to the moon. <laughs> so the player might not know realize because the gates it's a one-way gate also so you can just turn around and walk right back through the gate to get back into the room but you know you know the, the lich intentionally kind of like it's half trap half escape hatch is he's just like kind of waving to the players as they bust through the door into his, his uh his room or wherever he's hanging out right. and then he takes a step back through the gate and they can still see him waving on the other side. And they're like, let's go get him. And they just not, not realize and just charge through this one way gate. And now they're on the surface of the moon, not able to breathe and instantly yeah. freezing to death. You know what I mean? And there's another gate about just 50 yards off. That's the, another one way gate that leads back to, you know, some other layer of his that he's got, you know, some safe house. And he's just over next to the gate, waving to these dead PCs that are just like, Oh yeah, you're either instantly dead from being below sub zero temperature temperatures in space or you're you know suffocating right now whatever the case may be right. and now you you know your last moments are going to be watching me go through another gate where i because i don't care i'm immune to cold and i don't breathe i'm an undead you know lich right so this literally doesn't affect me <laughs> yeah this doesn't bother me at all uh i'm over going through this gate so you know um another idea is again kind of the, the concept of like you know the lich hanging you know hangs out in his laboratory all the time of either there being like um a uh, a vacuum in there so there's no oxygen or it's just like filled with like a noxious poisonous gas all the time like maybe there's got a perpetual um stinking cloud in there or something like something along those lines something where there is not oxygen or it's poisonous or you know some you know otherwise deadly you know gas it's full of, you know full of monox- uh, carbon monoxide you know he just runs a car in there all the time <laughs> in the garage you know i i had a pc that no I, circulation yeah i had a pc that i've had a trick that i've considered trying to put to use as a villain where 
the PC had blind sight and blind fighting abilities and carried a, an ever smoking bottle on his belt. And normally it's ever smoking bottle is kind of considered a cursed item. You take the cork off the bottle and it immediately fills like a 10 foot cloud with smoke. Right. And so with this character, since he didn't need to see, he could just pop that. And all of a sudden he's obscured. Anybody around him can't see, but he can still fight them. You know, just as similar to the Lich, just pop that. This doesn't bother me, but it screws all of you over. Yeah, I had a character that had something like that, except it was like an at-will darkness spell that he could do. Just boom. Okay, now we're going to beat the crap out of each other, and you can't see nothing. Your dark vision doesn't work, but I'm a blind fighting, you know. I think the guy also had somehow had tremor sense or something like that on top of it. You know what I mean? Like a sixth sense ability. Yeah, cool stuff like that. Again, taking advantage, you know, an intelligent character or, you know, an NPC or monster or whatever, you know, taking advantage of their strengths or, or you know, or using their enemies' weaknesses. Like, you know, if I'm capable of fighting in the dark, whether I'm a blind monk or I have tremor sense or whatever, like, why not you not only make that, you know, an already existing strength, but then to use my enemy's sight as a weakness against them. You know what I mean? I think you can also get a lot of inspiration for utilizing your strength or utilizing the enemy's weaknesses um, by looking at superheroes, you know, comics and stories. You know, how many how many times is the first thing Daredevil do is smash the lights? Right. Um, you know, and you have they come in and own oh, Superman. This room is full of kryptonite, which because I knew you'd be coming after me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're preparing. They're using their intelligence or using their knowledge of their weaknesses and working on the against the enemies. So now there is the opposite side of that, though, is the unintelligent creatures mostly like animals yeah, um, bestial creatures but yeah still they- I, I i don't mean creatures that necessarily like maybe would not have an intelligent score because they can only follow commands or that sort of thing i mean animals yeah. uh even even in some extent like non-intelligent magical beasts that are still have animal intelligence i do see a lot of them run in such a way that they're going to fight to the death i yeah, don't i don't agree with I that i don't agree with that either animals if you were i mean you know I suppose if they were starving and on the brink of death, then that would be one thing. If it was a or predator commanded to by some other magical means, right? Or, or magically commanded in yeah. some way, or maybe maybe they're a magical version of the beast, like uh, like uh, um, a celestial version of the beast or yeah, something like summoned, summoned. Creature, yeah. That's one thing. But you know, if you're out in the, you know, I, I mean, even modern tactics. If you're if you get uh, encountered by a uh, mountain lion. Uh, you're supposed to make yourself big and scary because it's a predator and it just wants to kill the thing. But if all of a sudden it thinks the thing is going to put up a fight, it's going to, it's not going to want to mess with not you. Not even that you, you might kill it, away. but just if you're like, you're not worth my time. I don't want to get yeah. hurt to eat. So if, if you can break, break the mountain lion's ribs, that may wind up for a mountain lion and being a fatal injury because eventually it's not going to be able to run. It's not going to be able to chase. So even getting hurt too badly could be an issue for an animal. It it doesn't have health insurance. It can't just go to the clinic and get those repaired and get a few days off the work. Um, I actually had that with uh, I was playing a game with uh, mostly relatively new players and they're going to a cultist lair and the cultist sicked some wargs on them and the ranger took a shot, scored a critical hit. Knocked yeah. off half the war- one of the warg's hit points in one shot. That warg's next turn, it turned and ran. Yeah. And the PCs were like, wait, where's it going? It must be trying to get around us. It must be trying to flank us. Right. Like, no, you just heard it really, really badly. And it's not in danger 
of being chopped up from you, it's going to run away and lick its wounds. And yeah, just like your atypical wolf pack, you know, while, you know, injuring one creature might make that one creature run off. If you actually kill one wolf, the rest of the pack might run off because like, you know what? You just killed one of us. We don't want to die for our meal. See you later. Bye. And unless you're in a Liam Neeson movie. Well, yeah, yeah, obviously there's always that. (laughs) The gray. But you don't go up against Liam Neeson without knowing that it's very likely you may die. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He has a very particular set of skills. Exactly. (laughs) Fired Uh, over a long career. But yeah, I mean, certainly you could do some research and there are some animals that may, you know, just are so territorial or aggressive that they will fight to the death. Uh, but yeah, most some don't like being challenged. You heard it. Yeah. And now it's challenged. And now it will. Now, now I'm taking this shit seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like the tactic against a bear or a some bear. bears is play dead yeah. because once they think that they've killed you, they're going to leave you alone and go away. And maybe you can escape, you know, um, but yeah, getting big and scary will work against a mountain lion against a bear. No, it yeah, you will not. You can't get big and scary. You're enough. not big enough or scary because yeah. because the, the, the bear can do something. The mountain lion can't. That's stand on its haunches and be bigger than you. Yeah. And again, if you <laughs> injure a bear, you're just going to piss it off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and actually, another interesting one being as we actually are all Mainers uh, moose. Yep. Moose are going to be very frightening if they decide they want to destroy you and they will so, yeah. on your car <laughs> and cross your face yeah, yeah so ex- three, you know perfect examples of you know just like a three ton animal with five ton antlers yeah that's, i'm not getting in the way of that thing. yeah but again you're know, like even though they're not in quote-unquote intelligent by definition you know they don't have a language system or whatever you know but still they're they usually have a decent wisdom score. They still know yeah. what they are capable of. It's exactly. like, like, and that's kind of like, like the underlying theme, at least in my head is like, you know, everything knows what it is capable of. Yeah. You know, it knows, it knows what it can push. It knows, you know, should I run away? Should I keep fighting? Can I take these guys? And it might not, you know, it's, it might not walk up to a party and go think, uh, or know it can take these guys, but it's, you know, it might assume it can take these guys. If it's proven wrong, it will change. It might change its mind and yeah. run away. So like, a, like, for instance, we keep bringing up wolves. A pack of wolves is unlikely going to attack a r- group of adventures unless it has like probably double numbers. At least numbers. Oh yeah. In, in most cases, probably double numbers. Yeah, and most they, they have wolf a, packs won't attack humans or humanoids in you know fantasy situations unless they're really hungry, right? Or come near fire or yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, if 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 when they first attack, you describe them as you know, uh, you know, gaunt and hungry looking and almost feral, they're perfectly fine, you know, to to use those tactics. But you know, normally wolves won't do that a lot most animals if you make enough noise just tromping through the woods and you have fire they're not going to come anywhere near you because they don't want to deal with what you're doing they'll just owl leave you bears, alone. on the other hand those things will mess you up well <laughs> owl, owl bears <laughs> um i, I th- threaten my party with random owl bear strikes every now and then so now that sort of brings me to the creatures that have an intelligence score it's just slow so not like an animalistic style, but just like dumb creatures, like, you know, like trolls and ogres and goblins and those sorts of things. Um, I see a lot of people using bad tactics with them. Now, sometimes, sure, go for it because they're stupid, yeah. but they're still I almost totally- always described as tactically sound. Read their description. They still understand that ambush is best. 
that stealth. They still know their strengths. They still, they know, still know their, their weaknesses. Now, if a troll is put into a situation that they're not familiar with, they might not react accordingly. Exactly. But if, if they're attacking the party you know, of their own will and their own discretion, they're going to wait for the opportune moment. Yeah. They're going to you know, try to use their strengths to their advantage. I think a troll that doesn't see fire barreling right down the center isn't necessarily bad tactics for a troll that that looks at what they're going after and says, okay, there's no fire there. I should be good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to take that into mind that that works for a troll that won't necessarily work for an Etten. Right. Sure. Because for anybody that doesn't know the difference, trolls regenerate anything right. but fire or acid traditionally in D&D. Um, but you can also have those lower intelligence creatures still be a pestering nuisance. Um, we had my, my Home Alone story that during the, the pre-session where I had a goblin robbed the party at, in the middle of the night. The party woke up and saw him, and he goblin took off running. Party took off after him. The goblin led him through these ruins that he had already set up and pre-trapped. So he knew to, like, oh, I jump over the tripwire here. I can cross the pit here and knock the plank down so that they can't get to me. They're coming up the ladder. I can tip the pottery over onto them. You guys give up? Or are you thirsty for more? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, they were telling the full detailed story in the pre-show, and they referred to it as Home Alone. But it also meant to the point that when the, this party of three second-level adventurers got to this one single goblin, they're like, yeah, let's go get him. We want to really take him out. It was a single goblin. Any one of them in a one-on-one straight fight would be done in a round or two. Right. But here it was this entire, like, knight's adventure as they're dodging these traps and chasing down the goblin and tracking him, trying to get their stuff back. <laughs> Um, so we do have one more point that I would like to bring up before um, we close up. And that is, as we mentioned earlier, followers. Yeah. And that's your big bad villains who tend to attract people that will obey and listen to them and how they utilize them. Yeah. Because I think those should also be, especially if you're going into the lair, they should have people defending them. They may have people. Uh, for example, you may have a vampire who's going to send a pack of thralls out to not necessarily attack the party, but maybe also discredit the party. Right. You need to go into town and frame these guys for something bad or get the town rallied that these people are not working in our best interest. See, to me, and I think this sort of ties in, that comes down to the um, I, the, the Hans Gruber situation. Okay. Hans Gruber, you know he's the bad guy. You know he's the last guy McLean's really going to encounter. You know that. But all through the encounter, what's he doing? He's fighting his goons. Or, or, or all through the, the movie. He's taking care of his goons. He's going through all of them. When you decide, okay, my big boss is going to be a lich. Okay. Uh, that's not the guy that you want them to go fight right away. That's also not the guy who... Oh, you get to his lair. He's the first thing you fight. You know, maybe he tricks you here and there, like like you'd mentioned earlier, Jared. Maybe he comes out of a, a secret passageway, hits someone with a quick cantrip, and then runs off. That's perfectly fine. But he doesn't stick around for anything. Okay, he lets his he lets his minions do it. In the case of a lich, probably lots of undead, quite a few intelligent undead. Maybe just you know some regular you know uh, like cultists who follow him, who do their own thing. Some monsters he's dominated over the years. Anything. Okay. By the end of the dungeon, that's when they get to the lich. And a lot of people have this issue with the uh, CR system in 5th, and it is flawed. 
Yes, if a fresh party of players comes up against a CR 13, 14, and say they're somewhere on level six or seven, okay, if they're fighting them face-to-face, ready to go, no tricks, that party will probably kill this thing. The whole point is you throw these troops at them, right? And it softens them up. A couple of hit points here, a couple of hit points there, a spell here, a spell there, burns away resources. So by the time they get to that CR, was it 13 for a Lich? I think it's 13. We'll look at it I think later. it's actually higher because I think Vampire is 13. I think Lich is like we'll, 18. We'll, yeah. we'll fix it in post. Uh, uh, so, but by the time you get to that Lich, you're thinking, oh my God, we probably won't beat it but let's give it a shot or we might beat it. If we're tactically sound, the wizard doesn't have any of his big spells left. Right. Paladins running low or on only strikes. has one. Yeah. Like I have one. I've been saving it. You know, a lot of, a lot of times players they'll will save their big. Sp- well, I know we're going to be fighting a lich, So I'm going to save that fifth level spell for when we get to him, you know, paladins running low on smites. Yeah. Clerics running out of healing. Druid only has a, a, a single wild shape left. And you do have to throw big challenges at them. The bard during. is down to ABBA songs. <laughs> <laughs> you do have to throw the mini boss at them or like the paladin won't use his smites. I've had it where I've had a boss in there and they're refusing to use them. And then the next thing they go up against, it's, you know, got three attacks and hitting them for 20 points of damage. And the paladin rolls his eyes like, God, now I got to use them. Yes, you do. I want you to use up a couple of your smites before you get to this lich so you don't have all of them. That's sort of the idea. So when you're thinking up your, your tactics for your for your group, I'd say think up, you know, what kind of thing is it? If it's an animal, it's probably going to run away after taking some damage, you know, or feeling threatened even. Uh, you know, if it's uh, a dumb humanoid, it's still going to have some basic tactical knowledge you know even regular humanoid regular humanoids around it tells a lot of people will play like orcs and goblins is is particularly stupid they're not they're just as tactful as humans so skirmish abilities they know how to do that kind of stuff yeah even like a stupid hell giant will throw boulders from the high ground right exactly It, it knows that that's what it should do um but yeah i mean there's all kinds of tactics we probably go on forever about this yeah, I would say it really boils down to like, you know, the first and foremost is again, the monster, the creature, the NPC knows what it's capable of, so you need to know what it is capable of. Yeah. In 5th edition, almost every single monster, no matter how small or how mundane, even a goblin, they almost every single one has at least one special ability that's unique to that race or monster type. Which means that that is a basically a tactic or uh, an ability that they should be taking advantage of. Goblins have the ability to skirmish, so they can move, hide, or dodge. I think it is, yeah, disengage, dash, or hide. Yeah, you know, pretty much every as a bonus. It's like like cunning action. Yeah, it's like cunning action, but um, but there's one thing they can do that cunning action can't. But anyways, um, I think it might be dodge. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, cunning action can't dodge. Um. But anyways, that's, as they can do that every turn as a bonus action. So that means they should be bouncing around the battlefield, yeah. shooting their you know, shooting their short bows, hiding in bushes, jumping out and you know basically sneak attacking, even though they don't have stab you with a spear, disengage and run away. Exactly. You know they they should not be staying in combat. They are skirmishers. They right. should be skirmishing. You know. So if you look at every monster and you know that in most of the the oh, the uh, 
setups in the monster manual will tell you or give you a rough idea of how they fight anyways but if you just look at that one or two special abilities that he has that'll pretty much tell you how you should be playing it if you're going to go against some sea hags and they have a gaze you know some sort of frightening gaze attack you better make sure that each one of those sea hags uses that frightening gaze attack at least once before they die yeah. you know just like a dragon should be using his breath weapon right off the bat because there's a recharge rate on it. Like monsters that have recharge abilities, they should be using those like right off the bat. They don't save them for a rainy day. They recharge. They can use them multiple times. Or an orc's fast movement is very underutilized in my opinion. Those guys move fast. They get the they they the orc's fast movement is I think it's once per round. It's like a as bonus a bonus action. action. They can take a they can move up to their speed towards a hostile creature that they can see. Right, exactly. Yeah, they just charge. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, I've actually seen in two separate games, um, and actually they were both run by Jared. In the first game, it was our very first ever fifth edition game, and we went up against a bunch of goblins and we slaughtered them easily. Right. And then later, as we learned the system. And Jared looked at it and said, oh, look at the ability the goblins had that he was just talking about. We had another game later on where early on we faced a group of goblins and we were just trying to run them down. We were running all over the place, trying to chase these things down. They were whittling us. It was a completely different fight. The first one, just a slaughter because... Didn't realize tactics, didn't use them. The best part was, they, as first-level characters, they slaughtered the goblins. As fifth-level characters, I gave them a run for their money. Right. <laughs> and, and you know what? I actually... Actually, it was a different... I was thinking Dragon Tail. We were, like, oh, thir- second or third level. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I was yeah, thinking about... Because we played the... Uh, the the pre-adventure there the yeah. delta what's his face and the first you run into a couple goblins right off the bat and you just got well yeah that was that was where we slaughtered but then no the tactical one was we were like second or third level oh, in yeah, dragon yeah. tail yep yeah and I, running true. around I, I do have to say my favorite goblin tactic though for fifth edition is the uh the tactic of the goblin boss if you were to get hit you can use i think you can just pull oh, yeah, another goblin in front of you yeah. oh yeah that's absolutely. my favorite that's and that's awesome. so gobliny yeah, it is it's so goblin-y, so and it's awesome, and it totally plays to the you know the 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 type of character that a goblin boss would be, and people don't take advantage of that. You know what I mean? I loved it. I threw I threw it at him in a game. I'm like, okay, I know this is now goblins fight, but I'm gonna swarm them. You know, I'm gonna have massive combat uh, combat goblin fight right here, and I had the goblin boss in front, like trying to. T- and every time someone would swing at him, all right, he swips, he switches. Like I just had him like switch spots with another goblin. Like this one dies, you know. It was hilarious. Um, and those those little tactics will also make the fights different. Yeah. I, I threw up a low levels up against gnolls because uh, gnolls have the special ability that they can make a bite attack when they uh, when they crit. Or the gnoll boss has the ability once per turn he can tell somebody who has the bite attack to bite. Right. So. He comes out and he starts, you know, he starts yipping orders and all of a sudden the guys they were fighting, oh, they got a lot better and started doing a lot more damage. Oh, no, we need to figure out, we need to get past the front line and take that guy out because he's helping them. Yeah. Um, and I know we've been focusing a lot on D&D with this. You know, if you're playing a different style system, maybe it's a modern game, uh, then actually we'd already talked about the Hans Gruber effect. So just kind of use that. Also, if you're maybe maybe you're running sort of a superhero style game, you know, think of it the same way too. think of uh, the the first of the Avengers movies. You know, we know we knew Loki was the bad guy and, you know, Loki was also the villain in the first Thor movie. So we knew you could take him out. But, you know, Loki gets this, you know, special magic power. He has this really good plan. He turns two of the, the he turns Hawkeye against the group and then also the Hulk against the group, which is one of their major things, and then sends an army against, you know, so has an invading army come in. So 
the players, the Avengers, can never get to the boss, but he's occasionally affecting them here and there. And and when he does, he's doing so from an advantage. And then you look at what happens when Loki and the Hulk finally face off face to face. Exactly. Then they finally get to him and the Hulk, Hulk smash. Yeah. Puny God. <laughs> so, you know, and then that sort of thing. I think, you know, most most comic books, if you if you're playing, if you're running a superhero game, you, you know, you know, read some comics, look at some uh, comic uh, games or movies for really good examples as to how the boss can be effectively there and maybe even playing around with the group, but mostly letting his minions do the work so that uh, it can be that encounter at the end. Yeah, it really just boils down to, again, just like, you know, knowing what the player or knowing what the character or NPC or monster has as a power, knowing what they're capable of. Again, Loki gained a new ability in the Avengers with the staff where he could, could mind control people. So he started using that to his advantage. Boom, right off the bat. You know, like, and that just changed the whole scenario. He went from Thor being able to single handedly take him out to him taking on all the Avengers at once. Well, and I think we're just about there to wrap it up, too. Um, but yeah, a lot of the a lot of the basic concepts, even though we were talking Dungeons and Dragons most of the time, a lot of those basic underlying concepts, be intelligent, know what you're capable of, use your advantage to your advantage, can really transcend across the genre lines. And you can really utilize them. It just takes a little bit of work, a little bit of practice, a little bit of prep, and you'll find that your your combats, your encounters get a lot more interesting a lot more rewarding for the players to be successful overcoming a challenge just a lot more fun and that's the goal we're all looking for anyway yeah i'd say my final thoughts would be basically just don't try to avoid going blow for blow unless that's exactly the kind of creature or like a troll 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 go blow for blow that's fine but you know you typically in in a lot of situations you're especially if you're throwing one or two big baddies at a group you're outnumbered so you just you can't go blow for blow. You can't just walk into the middle of the group and expect to hold your own. You got to take advantage of your abilities. Um, my second final thought would be like if there's a special ability on the page, use it. You should be making sure that you're going out of your way to make sure that every monster and creature is using its abilities, its special abilities. If it has a healing spell, freaking heal itself. You know, yeah. the only time that you don't shouldn't just be open the, don't just open the book, say, hey, this looks neat. And then and then try to and just roll attacks, it. you know, what yeah, I mean? yeah, at least read it over. Be like, OK, what can it do? Yeah. And then look at and look at each of the abilities and like when would it use that? Right. Yeah. The only time that you should have a monster go down and be you know and die or run away or whatever without having exhausted everything in it at its uh, you know disposal is if it has like an actual list of spells. Spells are situational, right. you know. But it's all its special abilities. Pretty much, you know, if it's not using all its special abilities, you didn't really run the, the character or monster right in most situations. All right. So we're gonna wrap it up there. I think we're. We could probably go on as as many topics we have. We can just we could kind of keep going for a while, um, but we do want to keep this from running on too long. Um, obviously, if you have any uh, questions about running tactics or any stories you'd like to share about times that you've had monsters or antagonists, really not just monsters acting tactically that really boosted your game to the next level, definitely feel free to to talk and share. We like talking games. It's what we do. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at GMS Studios. We are available on Facebook to like, comment, subscribe. And we do have a message board if you'd like to have some conversations with our fans at GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. Well, thank you for listening. Hope you can make your next encounters a little more tactical and a little less smashing people in the face. And we will talk to you next time we are in the studio.